James Fairbairn. I'm one of Denton's dispute resolution partners. With me today is Rob Francis and we're going to be talking about public inquiry hearings and the report issued consequent upon those hearings. Uh, hello everyone, uh, welcome back, it's great to be speaking to you again. Rob, what do we do by way of preparation for the hearing? Well by the time uh, you're getting close to hearing it's likely your organisation will have been involved with the inquiry for some time uh, you're likely to have been responding to document requests uh, and also possibly providing uh, witness statements. Uh, it's also possible your organisation is a core participant, uh, and this is something uh, that we discussed in the last podcast, uh, but the benefit of being a core participant is that uh, you get to see the evidence uh, from all the other parties, uh, and that will obviously assist both in terms of the, uh, the witnesses seeing the key documents, but also uh, preparing opening and closing submissions. In terms of preparation for the witnesses themselves, uh, the inquiry is likely to take some time considering the various statements, and then uh, we'll let you know uh, whether or not your witnesses are going to need to attend the hearing uh, to, uh, to give oral evidence. Not all witnesses are called, uh, but the inquiry will issue a formal notice to that effect. Uh, if it's a, a statutory uh, inquiry, so it's been set up under the Inquiries Act, uh, the inquiry does have the ability to compel a witness to attend to give oral evidence. Uh, in terms of the witnesses themselves, as I say, the key is just for them to uh, focus on their witness statement, not really well. So how does the hearing actually proceed, Rob? Well, the actual procedure will be uh, set out by the inquiry itself, and it does vary from inquiry to inquiry. Uh, it will be up to the chair to decide. Uh, there could be a preliminary hearing uh, where the inquiry will set out uh, the panel's expectations and, and deal with various other procedural issues such as applications relating to restrictions of evidence uh, and other similar issues. Um, then the main substantive hearings are likely to start um, and if your organisation is a core participant then as I mentioned you're likely to be able to provide a uh, opening uh, statement setting out your position on the key issues. Um, this is generally best delivered by an experienced advocate uh, and they're someone that's likely to have been retained relatively early in the process, so they're aware of the key issues. And that's certainly something that your legal team can advise you on. Uh, a written version of the opening submission is also likely to be provided, which may well be made public uh, on the inquiry's website. Rob, I appreciate that giving evidence weighs heavily on people's minds. What do we say and do to help witnesses? Certainly one point to consider for them is that it's not an adversarial process. It is different to litigation in that aspect. Uh, the intention of the inquiry is very much just to get to the truth. The process will vary from inquiry to inquiry. Uh, and again, as mentioned, the chair is going to set out the specifics. But usually it will uh, consist of questions being asked by counsel to the inquiry. Uh, the chair may then uh, direct that the uh, legal representatives for the witness in question can ask some questions. Uh, and then there may also be an opportunity for how the uh, the other core participants can put questions to that witness. However, how this actually works in practice um, can vary. Uh, one way used in many inquiries, uh, is, as I say, all the questions are done by the counsel to the inquiry, and actually the other core participants feed their questions through, normally sent by email, uh, to the counsel to the inquiry or the uh, inquiry legal team more generally, and then the counsel to the inquiry will decide whether those questions uh, are sufficiently important or uh, relate to the key issues uh, in order to be put to the witness. Uh, 
Um, a variation on that um, is uh, where the council inquiry asks all the questions, but then there's a set period at the end for uh, other advocates to put questions to the uh, the witness, uh, normally a short period at the end. Uh, and this occurred uh, in the Mid-Staffordshire NHS inquiry. And there's also a more traditional approach, which uh, isn't always used uh, in the, the, the more recent larger inquiries, but that's where the core participants, legal representatives, are given an opportunity to question the witnesses direct. Uh, and that occurred in inquiries such as the Stephen Lawrence inquiry uh, and the inquiry into Bloody Sunday. Uh, and those can obviously lengthen uh, the, the duration of the, uh, the hearings considerably. So who is the chairman of the inquiry likely to seek evidence from, Rob? Well, as well as witnesses uh, that had involvement in the key uh, events in question, um, there's a number of other sources as well. Uh, the chair might hear evidence from experts on particular subjects. Uh, and there's also the ability to use seminars or, or, or sessions where they go out and uh, take evidence from various stakeholders. Uh, an example is the Leveson Inquiry, uh, where there was a series of, of these sessions or seminars which were open to the public and had a mixture of experts and core participants uh, providing their views. So at the end of the process, we get a report. What does that look like, Rob? Well, the first thing to say is it could be uh, a significant period of time before it's issued. Uh, there's been some research into this that found the average inquiry takes two and a half years to publish its report from when it's set up. Uh, and given the long process, larger inquiries will invariably break the work up into phases so that they uh, issue interim reports. But in terms of what the uh, the report will actually cover, uh, it's likely to cover the facts uh, that have been determined in the process, any recommendations, uh, anything else the panel considers that's relevant. Uh, as you'd expect, it's likely to address or it will address the, uh, the terms of reference. So the client is likely to be concerned about whether there'll be any adverse findings or liabilities imposed as a result of the inquiry report. I think that's right. I think inquiries will generally deal with serious matters and events, uh, including those that may have uh, resulted in death. Uh, so that always means there is the chance of some kind of concurrent litigation or, or criminal investigations. And it's important to note that the inquiry itself does not have the power to rule on or determine um, a party civil or criminal liability. I mean, that the inquiry is allowed to make findings of fact, uh, and from that, liability could be inferred. And of course, the inquiry is also free to criticise core participants. Uh, and it's that criticism that can have serious repercussions um, for a core participant. Uh, but it's quite different from uh, a finding of criminal and civil liability. So, Rob, what happens if the inquiry report is going to criticise one of the participants? Well, if that occurs, the uh, the chair is likely to provide a confidential advance warning of that criticism. Uh, and this can be known by a number of different names, uh, depending on the type of inquiry. It could be called a Rule 13 process or salmon letters or maxwellization. So assuming it's a statutory inquiry, then the general concept is that uh, any report, uh, be it interim or final, that has uh, explicit or significant criticism of a person, then the chair will issue a warning letter to that person. Uh, and if there's uh, inferred criticism, the chair may issue one. And that letter is going to need to set out the details of the criticism, along with any of the facts and details of the evidence that support it. Uh, this may include an extract of the report in question. It will provide an opportunity um, for the, uh, the person being uh, criticised to respond. 
And certainly large inquiries um, such as the Infected Blood Inquiry or the Post Office, a Horizon IT Inquiry, will set out detailed protocols on this. Uh, that said, a failure to issue a Rule 13 letter doesn't impact on the weight the inquiry panel will give to the evidence, but there's instances of, of, of failure to issue it would be quite rare because it's a very well-established process. Thank you, Rob, for that contribution and insights. This is one of a series of podcasts that we're doing on public inquiries. So if you're interested in more, please look at our website to find more details. Mm -hmm.